Hey, my name's Steve Campbell. I'm one of the pastors here at C3. I've been away a lot, uh, but we're glad to be back. And last week, we started a new series, and I heard, I haven't listened to it yet, but I will be doing it online, I heard the Cybone one kicked off our Red Letter People series absolutely fantastically. Is that true? <laughs> then please make sure you tell him I've heard it was good. It's entitled Red Letter People, this new series. And it's basically taking the words of Jesus as are recorded, not all the words, but some of the words of Jesus that are recorded in the New Testament. Now, we believe the whole of the Bible is inspired by God and inerrant, but the words of Jesus are often recorded if, in some of the Bibles that you will have and written in red letters. So these are showing the actual words that Jesus said and spoke and recorded for us. And so we've just chosen some over this next five or six weeks that we're going to look that we feel God has led us to by way of being a red-letter people, because we don't just want to hear these words, we then want to do these words, don't we? Hello. So I'm going to read this verse to you from Mark chapter 13, verse 13. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, I'm not going to focus most of my time on that first part where it says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But I do want to say this about that before we go into the second part. Simply to say this, Jesus never promised an easy life to those who choose to follow him. If you want an easy believism, I can direct you to some other churches. But Jesus never said, come to me, and then all your problems will disappear. No one will be against you. He didn't make those promises. He told us, in fact, that we would experience rejection, opposition, persecution, and perhaps for some, even martyrdom. That's what can happen if you're a follower of Jesus. We do not preach an easy believism here. That would not be the gospel at all. So we're not saying it's easy. What he did promise, however, is that those that follow him will have life and life in all its fullness. Hip, hip. That's John chapter 10, verse 10. What he did promise is that those who come to him, if they're weary and burdened and heavy laden, he will give them rest. What he did promise is there is ultimately a reward beyond whatever we give up for the sake of the gospel. And that ultimate reward is primarily him, but he promised us this in Mark chapter 10, that there would be reward that was to do with brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in this life and in the age to come. And what I want to draw our attention to rather today is this second part of the verse which says this, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There is a reward for endurance, for sticking in the game that is greater than if we give up prematurely. In the Scriptures, God honors those who stay the course. And the greatest reward is held out for those that don't quit. God ain't a quitter. And he doesn't expect us 
to step out of the game prematurely. Those who endure to the end will be saved. I'm going to read to you some other verses that are the very words of Jesus that are recorded in the book of endings, the book of Revelation, where he, in his glorified, resurrected, ascended condition, so he's speaking these from heaven, promises a reward. And let me just say this, we do believe there's reward. And it's not all the same. There is, I'm going to read some verses, for being a faithful follower right to the end and not prematurely quitting, there is reward for those that keep going. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Hey, if you're in a connect group this week, how about discussing, I wonder what the tree of life is. That would be an interesting discussion, wouldn't it? I think it's Jesus. But I'm not focusing on what the tree of life is. My point is this. You don't get the right to eat from that tree unless you overcome. What about this one? He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Revelation 2 verse 11. wonder what the second death is. An interesting discussion, isn't it? Whatever it is, you don't get to experience the reward of overcoming that unless you endure to the end to him that overcomes. What about this one? Revelation 2 verse 17. To him that overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I wonder what the hidden manna is. I wonder what it tastes like. I wonder what, we know what manna was in the Old Testament. It was bread from heaven, angel bread. But there's some of it reserved that hasn't gone off seemingly in heaven for the one that overcomes. What about this one in Revelation 2.26? To him that overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. The one describes it as authority over the cities. Part of the reward seemingly, if we could do a trace of this in the Bible, is that by way of reward... We, if we overcome to the end, we get to rule over cities and nations. Looking forward to that. I don't know whether Liverpool is going to exist in the age to come, but I'm asking God, could I have the opportunity to rule over Liverpool? Could it be my city that I have responsible? What about Manchester? We would immediately eradicate Manchester City off the face of the earth. Not the whole city, just the football club. So is there going to be reward? There's going to be, but it's only to those who overcome. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God to him who overcomes. I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. The blessing comes through overcoming and sticking through to the end. Question. Let's see if you're a little bit more honest than the first service. Anyone here ever felt like quitting? Oh, good. This is a much more spiritual service. Any leaders here ever thought, I've had enough, I want to get out? Yeah. Our ultimate reward, all that we're going to receive, is not given to us unless we keep going to the end. We just did this summer, in the, summer at the Movies series. Enjoyed that, didn't you? I'm going to do it again next year, so I, I enjoyed it, so that's why we're going to do it again next year. And the movie I did, or one of the movies I did, was Chariots of Fire. And it was about these two runners. And remember, Abraham's, the, the Jewish guy who was based here in Cambridge, he got beaten by Liddell. And when he'd been beaten, he went into a hissy fit and he's moaning and groaning because he'd lost. 
Remember what he says to his girlfriend? He says, if I can't win, I won't race. Blah, blah. And she says to him, if you don't race, you can't win. And there's a race that's been set out for us. It's not against the person next to you. It's your race that God has ordained for you. And if you don't stay in the race, you can't win. And God does not intend for us to lose. He set us up to win. It's in his nature. God is a complete finisher. What God starts, he finished. What was one of those cries that Jesus made on the cross? It is finished. And then it says he gave up his spirit. He didn't give up his spirit until he'd finished what he came to do. And we're not meant to give up our spirit until we finish what we're called to do. And then there's a corresponding reward that goes with it. Don't give up until you've finished. And I want to give this morning three very practical steps to help us endure to the end. Are you up for this? To help us to keep on keeping on. I've got three points. They're in your notes. The first one that I'm going to say, I've got to be honest with you, I stole it totally from my 19-year-old daughter. And the words that I'm using here are the words that she used in a blog post that I'm going to read to you in a few minutes with her permission. This is the first. In order to endure to the end, receive your full reward, here's it, number one. Stay in your lane. In other words, keep doing what you are called and gifted to do. Now, some of you say, well, I don't know what I'm called and gifted to do. That's why we're here. That's what we want to help you discover. We want you to live your best life now, and we want to help you. That's why we run a discovery track, to help you discover your gift and calling. That's why we have small groups called Connect Groups, where you can be with people who can recognize your gifts and calling. That's why we encourage people to serve so you can recognize your gifts and calling. That's why we have mentors and that kind of program to help you discover what you, if you don't know it, we want to help you. But many of you do. And many of you will know your gift and calling from a very early age. My gift, my call, is essentially this, leadership. That's it. I was... Secondary to that, it's communication. And in my days that I've got left, I want to just focus my call on leadership and communication. But I was thinking, when was the first time I realized I had a leadership gift? I went right back in my mind to when I was 14, 15. And a man called Harold Piper Dangich, he said to me one day, would you like to lead a Sunday school class of eight to nine-year-old boys? And I remember thinking, that's the problem class. And I said, okay, I'll do it. So I went and I led this, I was 14, 15, and I discovered this. I discovered two things. One, I enjoyed it. And two, they listened to me. They sat still for at least 15 minutes and listened to what I had to say. And I remember coming out of there thinking, maybe I've got something. And that was the first time. When was the first time you remember? If Mr. Piper was alive today, I would write him a letter. 
And I would say, Mr. Piper, thank you for introducing me to table tennis because that was good, but that wasn't my gift. Thank you for believing in me. There's another guy, Ivor Hopkins, when I was in my early 20s. I remember saying to him, how do you know that you can trust me in leadership? He said, I watched the way you led the pantomime, because we had a pantomime at Christmas in those days. We're not going to do that. You're all right, and I'm not going to lead that now. And I said, watch the way you led it. And he said, I thought you could do some more by way of leadership. And he gave me, and that was the opportunity. And that was the first time. Stay in your lane. Maybe put it another way. Josh, when he was speaking a few weeks ago, Josh Campbell, he says it in this way. We've all been graced. God's given us a grace to do something. And there's something you do well, and we all do well. Stay in your lane. Run your race that's your race related to your gift and your grace. So Megan, our 19-year-old daughter, she's at Hillsong College in, in uh, uh, Sydney. I'm going a little, uh, is she on FaceTime? She wants to check me out, so she's, she's watching right now. So welcome, welcome Sydney. Uh, and uh, she's on there. I asked her permission, could I read to, her, read to you what she put on her blog? Because she says it so well. 19, I think you're pretty, pretty mature. Not perfect, but mature. And I asked her boyfriend as well, Josh, could I read this out? And he gave me permission. So this was her Facebook blog post a few weeks ago. She writes, recently my lovely boyfriend came for a visit. He was able to meet a whole lot of my friends and was asked the same question a few times over and over. Are you coming to college? At first I used to listen in hope and anticipation that maybe, just maybe, Josh had fallen in love with this place, that God had decided to call him here after all, and maybe Josh finally listened. However, that was not the case. I had to catch myself. The next thing that came after the question was, what do you do? Or what do you want to do? And Josh would go on to explain that he was studying and what he wanted to do. I would listen with intent, super proud of this guy who is totally willing to walk into a complicated, worldly environment with his head held high, firm in the understanding of who he is in Christ. And God taught me the lesson that I thought I already understood and then kept on reminding me until I realized what he was trying to say. Stay in your lane. Two days later, after saying goodbye to Josh and entertaining another five-month stint of long distance, I found myself in a church meeting looking around and noticing couples who had come to college together, moved across the world together, and got to do this journey side by side. I felt myself starting to get angry that I wasn't in the same position. I can't say that that's the first time I've thought it, but I felt God stop me in my tracks and remind me, stay in your lane. I was reading through Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, and what it was saying reminded me about this idea. I realized that it all comes down to one thing, fixing your eyes on Jesus. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. 
At the end of the day, whether your dreams become realities, whether you end up where you want to end up, whether you see it all in your lifetime on earth or not, we are living with a higher and greater reality. Our reality is eternity. Life doesn't end here. There is so much more ahead of us. So really, as long as everything we do is towards Jesus, it doesn't matter about the rest because we're focused on something so much greater than ourselves and he has it planned out better than we do. She writes, the fact that I am 10,000 miles away from the people I love most or the fact that I am preparing myself the best I can for the lives that will be under my leadership in years to come. I think what I'm trying to say is that to sit and compare yourself to others around you or to question what you're doing or to doubt yourself is silly. You have been placed into your sphere of influence for a reason. Your lane needs you. And God is waiting at the finish line. But you've got to stay in the right lane, running completely towards Jesus to finish the race successfully. Stay in your lane. And hear me again. It's not against any, God's not going to say, hey, you beat Josh. Because it's not about beating. He's got his lane. Stay in your lane. I've got my lane. Stay in my lane. It's not against one another. It's not against the churches down the road. We're not running against them. We're not in competition. We're running the race that God has called us uniquely. He knows every one of us by name. And he has a lane for us to run in. Stay in it. If you're going to run to the end, you're going to keep the energy going, you'll need to stay in your lane. Secondly, this, and Meg's already said it, and it's related to this. It's very simple. But if we can learn this one, you, you, you gain an energy because you're not trying to be something you're not. Here it is. Be yourself. Be yourself. So many leaders I know have got discouraged and dropped out or pulled back because they've compared themselves to the guy down the street. Or worse still, the latest mega church and their beautiful pastor who your pastor just cannot compare with. Theodore Roosevelt said this, comparison is the thief of joy. Honestly, comparison's a killer. It will rob you of your energy. You're trying to be like them. I know preachers who spoke with the Welsh lilt because they were their mentors, but they were, from, they were from Bradford and they didn't have a Welsh lilt. They were trying to be something they weren't, and it was silly. Don't compare yourself. Now, I was at the, the Hillsong Conference back in July, so we've been all over the place. It's in Hull yesterday. Talking to church. I was talking to the church yesterday about generosity with Jared Cooper and the leadership team there, basically boasting on you. We're in Oxford next weekend talking about generosity with an Anglican church there. We're in Lincoln the week after. There's all these places that just want, all I go is talk about you guys. But I was at Hillsong Conference. I wasn't speaking there. I was there to receive. And one of the speakers was this guy, Jensen Franklin. Here he is. Jensen's preaching. And I know exactly what he spoke on. He spoke about the seventh hand, how God is a God of the seventh hand. Six is the number of men. Do all that you can, but we rely on the seventh hand, the God who steps in. 
And then he spoke on forgiveness. Great message on forgiveness and how if you don't forgive, how he can hold you back. Really great message. And I'm listening to Jensen and halfway through his message, he mentions that he's 55 years of age. And I'm listening and I'm thinking, you're the same age as me, Jensen. You and me are 55. And I tuned out as he's speaking. And I didn't tune out then thinking about his church and all he's done and everything like that. I tuned out and I'm looking at Jensen Franklin and I think, your hair is amazing. <laughs> it's so thick and, and wavy. It's so wavy. Do you use Grecian 2000, Jensen? I love your hair, your hairline. It's so, so, so up near the front of your head. <laughs> Jensen. And I completely missed whatever he was saying. I was totally, at that moment, this may be a, 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 a real thing, I had uh, hair, hair envy. Hair envy. Started to sit there thinking, what would it be like if I had Jensen's hair? We compare silly things. Hello? We compare the accents of other people. If I could only talk like a scouser, people would listen to me more, you're thinking. If, if only, if only, we compare. Just after this experience, I, I'd come back to Cambridge and I, I went to the gym. And on a Monday, I have a, a, a PT. And in our session, we both injured ourselves. I hurt my back, and he hurt his leg. And we had to, we had to, we had to drop out of our PT session very early. So I decided I'm going to go in the jacuzzi. Cause back was hurting, still is. And I went in the jacuzzi. It was empty. Just me. This is lovely. I'm sitting there. And then a guy comes out of the changing room and comes into the jacuzzi. Now, guys, you understand this, don't you? There's a rule. You don't talk. So he gives me a man nod. I give him a man nod. And he gets in, just him and me, just two of us, just the two of us. And uh, this guy's got tattoos from the bottom of his ankle right the way up. Well, he had shorts on, so I don't know that it was everywhere. But it, it was definitely up to his neckline here. Tattoos everywhere. So we, we nodded. Then he leans forward. And he talks to me. He's breaking the jacuzzi rule. <laughs> and he says, how long have you had your beard? And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, that's a strange. I said, well, actually, I, I grew a beard when I was 17, but I've grown it again a bit thicker recently. And oh, he says, uh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he honestly, he says, does it take a lot of work? I'm thinking, actually, honesty, it does. I don't like little hairs that stick out, so I try and cut them off. And I've got beard oil that I use, and uh, I've got beard shampoo, and my wife lets me use her conditioner. 
So I condition it. And then he kind of puts his head down. This is Mr. Tattoo Man. He says, I wish I could grow a beard. That's what he said. <laughs> Poor guy. I felt like saying, well, do you want me to pray for you? <laughs> beard in the name of Jesus, come out. Come out, I command you, hair, grow. I wanted to pray for him. There was sweat or tear down his face, but we're sitting in the jacuzzi, Mr. Beard Man, because we don't know each other's name. Then I looked at him, and one of his tattoos on his right side here was of Jesus. It was Jesus with the crown of thorns on. I thought, this is my moment. This is, it. This is a divine appointment. I'm going to say to him, why have you got a tattoo of Jesus on your chest? Mr. Tattoo Man. I'm just about to ask him, and another guy gets in, and I thought, there's no way I'm going to talk to Mr. Tattoo Man. So I've got to, I'm, this, to my shame, I missed a moment. I'm going to go back. I, I've been praying this. I'm going to go back. I feel I should go back daily to the jacuzzi. <laughs> and I'm praying, God, would Mr. Tattoo Man come back so as I can witness to him? This is my point. He was comparing himself to me. Isn't that silly? <laughs> you got a much stronger yes there. Did you say yes, Steve Cannon? No, it was behind you. Rebecca Bell. Sorry, sorry, Steve. I just thought it was you. Don't we read? Why do we do that? It will rob you of your joy and your energy. Just be yourself. Be yourself. My third and final point is this, if you're going to last for the long haul. I started to sit back thinking, how do we endure to the end? And I thought of those that hadn't endured, those that had dropped out, those in my family that dropped out, brothers and sisters that have dropped out. But what, what was it? Now, you see, the big three issues that we talk about that, that cause people, especially leaders, to fail are money, sex, and power. You'll always have those as a temptation. They'll never go away. And for some of us, it might be a different area than, than another. But when I start to think about those that had dropped out, I realized most of them hadn't dropped out on those issues. We can think they're the big ones because they get the high profile. And I just started to think, what, what is it in my view? What's caused people to slowly pull back, lack courage or commitment or passion? And the one that I found that I have to deal with daily, that if you don't deal with it, it drains your energy. It will rob you of your vision. It will steal your joy. Gary Hagen, who is the founder of International Justice Mission, says it's the silent destroyer of dreams. It's this issue, fear. I went on a holiday a few years ago to Antarctica. Uh, was it, uh, where did I go, Finland? And um, we went on these skidoos. And they were so fast, they were, they were, it, was, it was a friend who'd won it as a holiday. And his wife had broken her leg, 
and she was unable to go with him. That's how I got there. I remember them coming to me and saying, could you pray for us so as I could be healed, or would you like to go on the holiday? So I didn't pray for her. We went on the holiday. And I remember we were on these skidoos, and one day we were on a, a lake, and we came off the lake, uh, frozen lake, and my friend Adrian hit a tree. He went right over it, broke the skidoo, and the tree snapped. And the lady who was our guide, she told us off. She said, you guys have been a bit reckless. You need to be a little bit more careful, slow down, and, and back off. They brought another skidoo for him. And then Adrian shot off like a bat out of heaven. And he just went. And I caught him up, and I said, Adrian, she said, we're supposed to slow down, go, go easier. And he said, yeah, I know what she said. He said, but I was determined to not let that experience spook me. And I remember in that moment, in the middle there of the frozen lands, thinking, wow, that's a real lesson for life. Because a lot of people have been spooked, put the word fear in, and then they pull back, rather than putting the foot on the throttle and going forward again. Fear can come in all kinds of disguises. Fear can come in the disguise of apathy. Oh, I can't be bothered. But you know that wrapping that says I can't be bothered? You know at the heart of that? It's fear. Fear can come as, oh, I don't want to get into a relationship. And that can look like a lack of commitments. But you know what that lack of commitments is wrapping around? Fear. Fear can come in all kinds of different ways. It can come even, I've had this with wisdom. This is wisdom, brother. Don't do that. And I've listened to all wisdom, but it's not wisdom. Now, we need wisdom. It's an excuse for fear because we're not willing to step out. And I've observed and I've thought so many people step out. And it's not sudden. It's, it's not like a big step. It's a one step. It's a two step. It's a three step. It's a four step. It's a five step. And they've just stepped back. Fear has done a number on them. When we were at the Hillsong Conference, and I'd heard this guy do it before, Craig Rochelle spoke about how he makes certain confessions every day. And I was, I was struck by that, by these confessions. And I, I decided that there are some fears that I face every day, and I, and, and I got a little bit tired of trying to ignore them. Here's my advice to you. Get, get this one. Don't ignore your fears. Out them. Get them out there. Call them out. Identify them. Say what those fears are. And then speak to the fear in the name of Jesus. Don't try and, oh, I'm, not, I'm not afraid. I am afraid. But I'm trusting a God who's bigger than my fear. So out your fear. Say what your fears are. Not now. And then make sure that you confess what is the truth that sets you free from that fear. So what I did was, and I, I said this earlier, I, I've not even told Ange that I've done this. I wrote out some of my statements, the things that I fear, but that I'm confessing the truth of. And I want to hear my voice say them. I want to hear God's voice, but I want to hear my voice. And so I've written them, and honestly, have I confessed these every day? No. They're on my phone, they're on my tablet here. I've written this out and I've confessed it to myself about five times in the last few weeks. And 
I'm going to share it with you today. And I'm going to share it with you today on this premise. I'd advise you, do the same. How you fears? And then confess the truth that sets you free. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Therefore, I will not be afraid. I will not listen to... I will listen to what he says about me and not others unless they agree with him. I am loved. I am called. I am chosen. And I am equipped. I have a destiny which will be fulfilled in the company of others. I will not die until his plan and purpose is complete in my life. I won't quit prematurely. I'll stay the course. I'll run the race. I will stay faithful to God, his cause, my wife, his church, my mandate, and myself. I will not fear the arrows of accusation. I will not fear a lack of provision, for you are my provider. I will not fear failure, for you are my reward. I will not fear old age, because you are my sustainer. I will not fear sickness, because you are my healer. I will not fear betrayal because you are a covenant-keeping God. I will trust in you for my family, my future, and your church. What are your fears? Out them. And hear yourself. Because I'd say this, three things to you. It's important what voice you listen to. Listen to your voice say those things. Number two, listen to God say those things. Because many of those things are Bible verses. Listen to what God says over you. Number three, I'm going to get, and, and since I did this in the first service, I've had people come to me. I'm going to get sometimes someone else to read that to me. Because I need a company of courageous people. Don't come and tell me what can't be done. I don't need you in my life to speak to me and tell me what can't be done. Because the devil tells me every day what can't be done. Every day. I don't need you to tell me what can't be done. I need you to tell me what can be done. I need you to whisper in my ear, it can be done. So I'm going to use that. And I'm going to, at times, maybe it'll be my wife, maybe it'll be others of you that have volunteered today to come and read those words, because I want to hear it from God. I want to hear it from me, my self-talk, but I want to hear it from a company of the courageous around me that say, come on, we can do it. Musicians, would you come back? Would you bow your heads in prayer? Jesus asked the disciples this question when the storm came up. He says, why are you so afraid do you still have no faith? Then he said, storm be still. I share these things, particularly the last point, because I know that I know as many of you that fight some of those same fears that I do. God's put a fighter in me. What about you? I'm going to fight till the day I die. I'm going to fight fear. I'm going to smash it in the face. Kick it in somewhere. 
not going to accept fear. What about you? With every head bowed, eye closed. I'm going to pray a prayer, but if you want me to include you in the prayer, that's praying a prayer, I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to listen to the right voices. I'm going to confess myself. I'm going to not live in the land of fear because I'm going to finish and get the rewards. Would you just raise your hands so I can include you in the prayer? Loads of us. Come on. Keep them up. Holy Spirit, come and apply into every heart and every mind and every soul that's reaching out right now with faith. Come, Holy Spirit. Come do your work in these people's lives. Come and fill them with faith. Let faith arise and the enemy of God be scattered. Let them know that they know that they're called and they're chosen and they're gifted. Yes, you are gifted. You've not been left out. You are gifted. Stay in your lane. Confess the truth. You will not. You will not die prematurely until you finish what God has called. Don't give up. Don't give up. Stay to the end for there's a great reward. Let faith in our hearts rise and let fear be scattered. And let them find others around them, Lord, who can speak the truth to them, the truth in love, because perfect love casts out fear. And let them know that they're called and chosen, precious to you. Let faith, faith, be the dominant force in our life. Not faith itself, but faith in you, Jesus. And pray for everyone that's reaching to you in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.